Hello again. <laughs> Is the recording okay? Oh, yeah. Great. We're good to go. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Craft Business Life. Uh, my name is Lee Solomon. This is a podcast all about the real nuts and bolts and day-to-day lives and struggles and careers and advice and all that kind of stuff of actors and other artists. My um, guest today is an actress who uh, is very new to the New York City uh, professional acting world. She's only been in the city a few months or so now. And uh, hopefully she can share um, some of her experiences and struggles and thoughts so far, as well as uh, hopefully give some advice to those of you out there who maybe are considering or planning uh, coming to New York to be an actor soon or who are finishing up school before you do that or, or whatever the case. So uh, Rachel Romack is my guest. Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So um, before we get into your background and your training and everything else, uh, I know I already mentioned that you've only been in the city a few months or so, but give people an overview of kind of where you're at right now, uh, how you've been doing, you know, what your life is like uh, at this point. Sure. Um, So I moved to Queens in October with my two roommates. Um, and my one roommate, Chloe, is a ceramicist, and then my other roommate, Yoshi, is in fashion. So we're all artistically-minded people. I'm sorry, what was the first profession? A ceramicist. My roommate, Chloe, um, yes, she sculpts. Um, she's a sculptor. No, I I heard Thoramicist. I thought it was some kind of a medical thing. I got you now. (laughs) No, no. She's, she's a clay person or she likes to dub herself. She's a mud person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're all artistically minded and we're all young adults trying to, you know, create our own lives and, you know, jumpstart our career in, you know, the greatest city in the world. Um, So for me personally, uh, moving here has been, you know, both invigorating and very challenging. Uh, So, you know, just to expand on that a little bit, New York theater culture um, and the audition process here is very different than anywhere else I've ever experienced, like, you know, in school or even when I was living upstate for a bit before I moved down here. you would either just directly speak to or email directors or, you know, producers about auditions, and then you would go to the audition because, you know, they would grant anybody who wanted an audition an audition, and then you'd go and you'd audition, and you'd get callbacks, and then you'd get cast. But here, it's all digital, which is crazy to me. Um, But I guess it's more commonplace in larger cities where you have a large pool of actors and performers to pull from for shows. Um, so it's, it's a little frustrating to me to, you know, apply for like 15, 20 auditions in one day and then maybe hear back from like two. Um, so that's a little disconcerting, but you know, I'm just trying my best and keeping my chin up and working hard and, you know, trying to get as much acting 
work as possible and as much professional experience as possible. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And, and of course, it is very hard and very complicated. You're absolutely right. Um, and it is, it can be very disheartening. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to help actors, you know, feel like they're not alone and also hopefully give information to each other that can help with all this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, We'll get back to all of that, but I'm just curious because your roommate situation, you know, it sounds pretty ideal and pretty fun, and this is the kind of thing that, you know, that people do. Um, how did you hook up with these roommates? Did you guys come together or? Well, my roommate Chloe and I uh, met in school. Uh, she was an art major and I was a theater major right. and we, we did some shows together. So we, you know, have a really strong friendship because we've been friends for years and she's one of my best friends. So she and I were both looking to move to New York, uh, for the same reason. We both wanted to like jumpstart our like real artistic careers. And then when we were looking for apartments, we kept finding these really great apartments that were in nice neighborhoods and like good rates, but there was always a third bedroom and we were like, well, we need a third roommate. Mm -hmm. um, so we finally met our third roommate, Yoshi, through a roommate meetup app. It's kind of like Tinder for roommates. It's called Roomy. That's R-O-O-M as a Mary I. Um, so we were just swiping through like a bunch of people trying to find uh, roommates that we got along with, that we could trust and seemed like good people. And Yoshi, you know, was the first one that we were like, oh, wow, we really like her. And she was, you know, very, like, respectful and um, responsible as well. And we met her for coffee, and we all just hit it off, and we were like, okay, let's get an apartment. And then the three of you proceeded to look together. Yes. Cool. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, you know, first of all, just finding an apartment, number one, that is affordable, which it's New York, so affordable is a very relative term anyway. But, <laughs> Absolutely. And that you're comfortable with and the right roommates. It's all uh, quite challenging. Um you know, and especially for for young people like yourselves, um, you know, what were some of your strategies for evaluating these potential apartments and potential landlords? Because you do have to be careful. Were you using mm -hmm. real estate brokers or what were you doing? Well, each of us had a different strategy for finding apartments. Oh, okay. For example, I was looking on apartment sites like Zillow and Street Easy. Um, my friend Chloe, who is from the Hudson Valley originally, is pretty close to the city. So she, and I'm not entirely sure how this happened, but through a sequence of convoluted events, like met this broker. So she was in contact with him and he was looking um, at apartments for us and with us when we would come down to the city to all look through open houses and stuff. And then Yoshi was also looking through some apartment-finding apps. Um, and we actually found our current apartment through the broker that I mentioned before. Um, 
his name is Marshall. He's very nice. I would highly recommend him to anybody. Um, uh, he knows his family, who's a friend of a friend. Uh, they own a house in Queens. Uh, the first floor is one apartment, and then the second floor is another apartment. And the family is um, from China originally, so they have relatives who used to live in the second floor apartment, but then moved back to China. Um, so they had this space that they wanted to rent out, and Marshall was like, hey, guys, like, I know you're looking for apartments. This family is really nice. They're looking for, like, young, responsible adults um, who, you know, wouldn't mind living in Queens and commuting to Manhattan for work. Um, it's not on the market yet, but if you want to come see it before it does go on the market, like, let me know, and I can set up a tour for you guys with the family. So we were like, oh, yes, that sounds great. So... Marshall mediated a tour, and we looked at the apartment, and it was just so nice. And the family who now lives below us, who is our landlord, um, you know, were very nice as well, and we all hit it off. So it was really like a dream come true in terms of apartment hunting. I don't know if we'll ever get this lucky again. Well, yeah, that does sound great. And, uh, you mentioned that you would recommend this broker. Do you want to give his last name? And do you know if, you know, where people might find him with a particular website or a company he works with? Yes. Um, actually, let me see if I have his card somewhere. His name is Marshall Lee, and Lee is spelled L-I. Um, he works with Compass. Um, I can't find this card right now, but if you just go to Compass's website... And you can send it if you want. You can give it to me by email later, and I'll post it in the notes of this episode. But, oh, yeah, know, absolutely. I'll do that. Cool. Um, but, yeah, for everybody listening, especially if you are uh, haven't come, you know, haven't moved to New York yet but are planning on it or thinking about it, you know, needless to say, uh, especially these days, you really got to do some real due diligence. You know, there's so much, frankly shady stuff and scams or just bad places out there and it's new york so you know people will do anything to try to scam people unfortunately not to sound mm. super paranoid but you got to be really careful so get reliable brokers and people really do your research and your diligence don't rush into the first thing that sounds good or anything and um Rachel, what, if you could speak to, you know, people that are, like I said, thinking or planning on doing, you know, something similar to what you're doing, moving to the city, um, as somebody with, you know, who's new to it and trying to pursue an artistic career or whatever the case, what advice would you give them as far as the finding a home aspect? I would say never commit to a roommate or an apartment where you're not able to speak to that person or those, like, landlords face-to-face. Sure. Um, you know, I think if someone isn't willing to call you on the phone or at least Skype with you, if you're moving cross-country, um, you know, I would say stay away from that. Uh, same goes with apartment tours. So if somebody's asking for something more than, like, a minimal just, uh, you know, let me commit to an apartment tour, 
pay $20 so I know you're serious. So if somebody's asking for, like, the first month's rent, first thing, uh, before they've even given you a chance to look at the apartment in person and ask questions, don't commit to it. Oh, God, no. And certainly don't give any money before you have, you know, all kinds of paperwork and contract and diligence. Oh, 100%. Absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Good. Excellent. Excellent points. Um, all right. So you guys settled in and, and you're happy there, which is great. And, you know, you don't have to get into numbers, but, you know, it is a struggle, obviously, for younger and newer people in the city and even for older people, frankly, um, <laughs> with the, with the immense cost of rent and of living in the city. Um, you know, when you guys thought about the three of you and the rent price and everything, you know, did you really go in feeling comfortable that you knew you had enough, you would have enough to pay rent every month and live comfortably? You know, were you concerned or scared at all about the financial aspect? I mean, living in New York, money's always on my mind, especially since, you know, I'm trying freelancing for the first time and I'm trying to, you know, get by by acting um, the majority of the time. Uh, so that is like a constant worry um but coming in like moving in i i had been planning chloe and i had been planning to move to new york for months so we knew we had to save up just to give ourselves like a little cushioning just in case you know the job didn't come in immediately or you know something broke and we had to replace it um so for anybody out there who's looking to move i would say be smart with your money budget plan for it, and then, you know, save even more than you think you're going to need. Oh, yes. And even if it takes you an extra year of saving before you even move, uh, I would say that's worth it in the long run because, yeah, you got to come yeah. with some bank. <laughs> but um, Yeah, absolutely. Like, you don't want to pay all the broker's fees and then first month's rent and then have to, like, move out six months later just because you didn't save enough in the first place. Excellent point. Exactly right. And be careful with the broker's fees. And this is turning into the real estate podcast, I know. But, but be careful <laughs> with the broker's fees and stuff. Make sure that's all on the level. Make sure they're only charging what they're legitimately supposed to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, mm -hmm. cool. And, and when you first moved in, did you have any kind of day job lined up already or no? No. Um, so before I moved, I was working with a therapy group. I, I double majored in theater and psychology, so I have a degree in both. Um, so before I moved, I was acting part-time and then working with a therapy group as well. Um, so... There's a branch of that same therapy group. Their headquarters are actually in Manhattan. So I had some connections as like a last-ditch effort just in case, you know, a month went by and I didn't get a job or a part-time gig or anything. I could be like, hey, you know, I worked uh, for this company up in Rochester and my boss knows your boss. Can you just let me come for a little bit? Um, so... You know, that was nice. I had that as a backup. Um, but, you know, as soon as I got here, I, 
even before I moved, I was applying for jobs, you know, day and night. Um, so when I moved here, I had a bunch of interviews for just like survival jobs, just part-time gigs. Um, and I ended up taking um, a job with a temp agency so I can essentially create my own schedule, but it's also a consistent source of income so I don't have to, you know, worry about money too, too much. Um, yeah, so, so I'm lucky that about, that worked out. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because these are the kind of nuts and bolts things we want to try to help people with. So, mm-hmm. so first of all, you know, as you were alluding to, you're trying to look for jobs when you also are planning on being an actor that are as flexible as possible. So you can devote time to auditions and to acting work. Um, and it is tricky. And, um, it's interesting because people do talk about these flexible kind of temp situations and I'm not particularly familiar with them. So how does that work? How do you have a temp situation where, as you said, you can make your own schedule, but it's also consistent. Explain that. Okay, so I work for Atrium, which is one of the larger temp agencies in the city. Um, And, you know, after your initial interview with them, they ask you, you know, what you're comfortable doing work-wise and what kind of fields and companies you're interested in working for. And then based on that, they send you like a slew of emails every week saying, okay, so this company is looking for somebody to work these hours three days this week. Are you available? And then if you have the time and you're interested in the job, you can say, yes, sign me up for this slot. Or, you know, if that job doesn't work out, then like another person will email you and say, hey, this company only needs somebody one day from like nine to five. Can you work this? And you'll say, yes, because my audition is the day after that. So it doesn't conflict with anything. So you're making money every week. It just depends on how much time you're willing to put into the the company and the temp jobs. so, like, that'll dictate how much money you make and how often you work. That's very cool. So they actually have temp assignments that are truly temporary with very specific days and hours. That's great. Yeah, and, yeah. and also, yeah. like, they're very clear about um, you telling them what your schedule is for the next two weeks or the next month or the next three months. Yeah. And then... You know, if anything changes, say you book a job and you're in a show for a month. So for the month of March, say I'm in a show and I'm rehearsing three days a week from two to five. I can tell my recruiter, who's kind of like your supervisor, like, hey, I'm rehearsing from two to five on these days for the entire month. And then the last week of the month, I'm completely out because I'm in tech all day. Um, That recruiter will you know, communicate that to his or her team. And then the team members will see what your schedule is like. And then they'll be like, oh, okay. So like she can't work these jobs, but here are the other opportunities that are available that she can work to make money. Um, And you can also say like, oh, for like this month, I'm only looking for jobs that are, you know, one day to like two weeks long. And then, you know, next month you're like, oh, I don't have any acting jobs lined up for the month, so I can work like a 99 to 5 job for all four weeks. Um, 
So, you know, it's just, there's a lot of opportunity. You just have to take the initiative and be communicative. No, that's fantastic. And what sounds impressive about it is, it sounds like they really do specialize in accommodating, you know, the very random schedules that, that people like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when I was hired, they were like, we hire a lot of actors. So, you know, we're, we're familiar with the schedule, schedules you're looking for. So in a case like one of the examples you were giving, like let's say you do have rehearsals in the afternoon every day starting at, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock. They still mm-hmm. can sometimes find you assignments where you can work from 9 to noon or 9 to 1 and still get a few hours in in the morning? Yes. Um, there are opportunities like that available. There are also, like, weekend um, opportunities available. I mean, it's not a guaranteed thing every week or every month, but those jobs do come by. Well, that's great, and you were very smart to pursue that, obviously. So you said the name of this agency is Atrium? Yes, it's Atrium. All right, so there you go for those of you out there looking for something like that. I'm sure there are others, too, but uh, definitely look for things like that. Um, Cool, and so you're doing that, and are you doing anything else on the side to support yourself at at this time? Um, aside from acting, I also do stage managing occasionally. Uh, so for the month of November and December, I was on a small regional tour um, as a stage manager. And then through <laughs> a series of events, I became the understudy for Charlie Brown. Uh, I was stage managing a production of a Charlie Brown Christmas. And then I also became the understudy, so I got to act during that. So that was really cool. Um, and then occasionally, um, I'll model for a painter, but yeah, those are my, those are my, uh, flows of income. Yeah. So again, it it can be random, it can be flexible, but I think flexibility is one of the key words and also Mm -hmm. just never know. Like you said, you were stage managing, but you also got to be the understudy. So I think being as helpful and flexible and someone people want around in any capacity uh, can always lead to all kinds of other things and just make you something mm-hmm. people keep in mind for things and all that. So and I think that goes for the acting business in general. Uh, you know, I have a previous episode of this podcast with a casting director named Lori Malkin. And if you listen to that, you'll hear her say that personality and knowing that the person is truly a good person and fun to work with and someone people really like is a huge part of casting and so forth. So, yep, that applies to uh, to all kinds of stuff. All right, so, and at this moment, are you in anything acting-wise or are you just auditioning? Um, I'm auditioning, but I also just got cast in a show. Um, it's called, and the title's a little bit of a mouthful, mouthful. An optromancy, um, and the definition of the word is divination through mirrors. Wow. Um, say it, say I literally say just got cast in that yesterday. Congratulations. Sorry? No, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. Interrupt you. <laughs> Congratulations. No, I was going to say, just in case it wasn't clear, and I'd, I'd like to hear it again, too. What was the word? Anoptromancy. Okay. Can you spell that? <laughs> Yes, that is E-N-O-P-T-R-O-M-A-N-C-Y. 
and this is a play. Yes, it's a play. It's a brand new work. Right. Um, it goes up on the 22nd of March. And where? Where will it be up? It will be up at the Muriel Theater, which is in Brooklyn. Excellent. Well, um, and how long is the run going to be for? It's only for one night, actually. One night, okay. For a, a, premiere, yeah. a one night premiere of a brand new play. Well, that's that's even more good reason to to to, to not miss it. So um, mm -hmm. again, I'll if you email me the details on that, I will uh, post that on the notes of the episode as well. Um, basically, anything official like that you hear during the episode, uh, look for uh, in the notes of the episode. So um, so that's great. Congratulations. Very exciting. Um, Thank you. So let's go back now to uh, your background and stuff before we get back to the present. Um, where were you born and where did you grow up? Um, so I was born and raised just outside of Ithaca, New York, in a small little village called Brooklyndale. Um, so it was a very idyllic small town kind of in the in the hills of the valley that surrounds Ithaca. We had a waterfall in the middle of the town. My neighbors had chickens. Um, very, it was a very, like, rural paradise kind of place. Um, but then Ithaca is a really funky, cool, small city as well. So there's a lot of arts going on in the city, uh, which was really great to be around as a kid. Well, yeah, and there's also uh, Cornell University, a major Ivy mm -hmm. University, as well as um, Ithaca College, right? Yes, yes. Both my parents went to Cornell, and then they were appalled when I wanted to apply to Ithaca. Mm, I'm sure. So there's, there's a rivalry between those two. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and uh, for those that don't know, it's also... Uh, extremely cold in the winter, is it not? Yes, it's pretty cold. We get a lot of lake effect snow, um, so lots of snow, lots of ice. Winter, I would say, takes up maybe a third of the year. Mm -hmm. Our spring is very short. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't live in a place like that. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked I'm still in the Northeast in general, but that's another story. But um, Oh, really? Well, I, I say that jokingly every year in the winter, but anyway, um, so uh, you mentioned it was an idyllic, nice uh, rural town, and uh, a lot of upstate New York is that way. I'm, I'm fond of it myself. Um, and what was growing up there like for you? What was your family like? Um, so growing up in the Ithaca area was really great, uh, you know, I think just because of the nature of the land, I had a really outdoorsy childhood. So, like, my parents would always take my brother and I hiking. Um, we would go swimming in the gorges and, you know, check out the waterfalls and hang out by the lake and go to parks all the time. Um, it's really, it's a gorgeous place for outdoorsy pe people. Um, and I was also really involved in soccer and other sporty things yep. as well. Um, I started getting into theater in middle school. Um, I auditioned for my first musical and I got in, uh, which was really exciting because I went to a really small school where the junior and senior high schools were combined. So junior high was 
seventh and eighth grade, and then high school is, you know, the normal ninth through twelfth grade. Um, so the musicals were a really big deal because they were open to anybody from grade seven to grade twelve. But it was unheard of for seventh and eighth graders to get speaking roles, and I was one of the lucky seventh graders who got a speaking role. So that kind of just like threw me in the spotlight really fast, and I had always wanted to be in a play or a movie or a musical as a little kid, so I was just, I was over the moon um, about that opportunity <laughs> in middle school. What was this? Um, it was, it's it's called The Lady Pirates of Captain Bree. It's not very well known, um, but essentially the plot is these lady pirates who are all fun and funky and wayward uh, take over this ship that they believed were, uh, was a cargo ship, but it actually had um, rich passengers on board. So the pirates kind of have to come to terms with what to do with these rich passengers, and then, you know, characters fall in love and shenanigans happen. It's a really fun, funny show for young actors to be in. There's lots of sword fighting and fart jokes and all that good stuff. It sounds like a lot of fun. Do you know if it, if it's like written and designed specifically for youth theater or has it been produced as a regular adult show as well? I've never heard of it being put up in a production outside of high school. Sure. But it, in the title, it didn't say, you know, a, a youth musical or a children's musical. Um, it was just, you know, this Lady Pirates of Captain Reed by so-and-so. I'm not, I can't remember who wrote it. Um, but, cool. And, um, yeah. so you said you had always wanted this. Um, any idea, I mean, it may have just been a natural inclination for you, but anything specific that might have prompted it? Or was anybody in your family have any background in the arts or anything? Um... I come from a very ooh, excuse me. I come from a very science-oriented family. Uh-huh. Both of my parents uh, majored in sciences, biology, uh, when they were in college. Uh, my aunt's a geologist. My other aunt is a mathematician. So um, I come from a family who really likes the arts. Uh, we all have artistic inclinations and like hobbies like my cousin plays the trumpet my brother draws and paints but nobody has actually pursued an artistic career until me there you go um, so <laughs> that's really exciting but um you know i i was the first one to get into theater in my family so you know my parents were like really excited because it was something new and something that like nobody in my family had done before and you know my aunts and uncles and cousins were like wow like Rachel's in a show how exciting we can go see this um so it was really nice to have that kind of support and that kind of enthusiasm growing up and doing theater beautiful and and not to jump ahead too much but when you ultimately decided to pursue it professionally um are they still supportive of that they are supportive, um, and I wouldn't say they worry any more than parents normally worry about, you know, their young adult kids, you know, starting their own lives, um, but they are, 
you know, they, they're all very down to earth. So both my parents are like, okay, well, like, we support you. We're excited for you to try and make your way in the, the theater world. But, you know, be smart, be practical. You know, don't do anything you don't feel comfortable doing. No, that that's great. And it's funny the way you said that because one of my previous guests, uh, actress Lydia Kalman, on her episode, she said pretty much the exact same thing. She said, my parents, you know, worry about me, you know, no more than any parents would worry, regardless of what the kid's uh, choice of path is. And that's very interesting that you both had the same uh, experience with your parents about it. That's great. Okay, so back to middle school. So you get the speaking role, even as a middle school student, which doesn't normally happen. Do you remember what the role was or what your line was or anything? <laughs> yes. So my role was Josephine. She was the forgetful pirate. Um, and she fell in love with the Swedish cook. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. Excellent. Not the, not the same as the Swedish chef on the Muppets, though, right? No, very different. (laughs) And um, cool, so you do this show, you enjoy it, and then are you, like, full steam ahead all about theater after that, or? Yes, um, full steam ahead, especially after that. um, My friend's dad, who is a working actor, directed the play. He kind of took me aside after the show had run and he was like, Hey, like if you really want to do this, I really think you should like, you've got a knack for it and you've just got to, you know, keep trying and be persistent until you actually do make it, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. So that was really nice. And that really stuck with me. I think that planted the seed for me. I was going to say, I, I had some similar experiences, and at least I know for me, but I would imagine for you, you know, as a kid especially, to hear that from somebody like that, it must get you so excited and put you over the moon. Oh, absolutely. Like, I was walking on air for, like, weeks after that. <laughs> Very cool. And then how much more did you get to do the rest of high school? Were there a lot of plays? Um, not a whole lot. So I went to a really small school in a really rural town. Um, and we were, because we were so small and in such a country town, uh, our school district was pretty poor. Mm -hmm. So our school could only afford one spring musical a year and then, uh, one fall play, but the fall plays were only for juniors and seniors in high school. Um, so, like, we, like, in the Ithaca School District, um, it, they have drama classes that you can just take as an elective, and they have, like, a really well-funded drama club that puts on plays and musicals, so they had, like, I think three or four plays and musicals a year, so we just had the two, and then we didn't have any drama classes, um, so I was taking everything I could get. So um, I did every musical every year from 7th to 12th grade. And then once I got into my junior year of high school, I auditioned for the plays and I did the play, um, the fall play my junior year and my senior year as well. Excellent. And um, just out of curiosity, do you remember what those two plays were? Again, I think my school just picked 
um, really unknown place because they were cheaper, like buying mm-hmm. scripts were cheaper. Sure. So I definitely remember um, the play my senior year was called The Murder Room. Mm-hmm. And I played the husband that year. That was my first year playing a man. And so that was really fun. Um, uh, I played the husband who eventually through who got amnesia and then had like multiple personalities due to the amnesia. Um, and there's a twist at the end, which is why it's called the murder room. Um, and then my junior year, it was a play called Meanwhile Back on the Couch. And it was about a psychiatrist who's married but then has an affair. And I was, like, the young, like, very quirky, like, ingenue patient who, like, has an affair with the psychiatrist. It was, it was bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you guys did a lot of fun, like, farcy you know, fun shows. Um, very cool. Yes. So, yeah, they were very farcy. Yeah. And just curious, with you playing the husband, do you remember if, you know, that kind of cross-gender casting, if they did that just because there weren't any guys good enough or just for fun, or do you remember why they cast you in a male role? Yes. Okay, so initially I auditioned for that show as the lead female role, And I didn't get it because the director's um, philosophy was, oh, well, Rachel, like, had the lead role in the musical in the spring, so we want to give somebody else who didn't get a role in the musical a chance to have, like, a lead role in the play. So I wasn't cast in the play originally. But then the, um, the actor or the student who they cast in the lead role of the husband dropped out uh, two weeks into rehearsals, and they were like, well, who can play this role? Oh, Rachel can play this role. We'll give her a shot. So they let me come in for one rehearsal, and I did it, and they decided to keep me and let me um, stay on as a husband. And I think it worked just because it was such a farcy play, and all the characters um, that I was playing in that role were so ridiculous. It it just worked having me be a female who's very obviously not a man, but speaking like this. Right, right. So yeah. in other words, from your previous work, they kind of knew that you had the aptitude and the comedy and all that stuff for it. I gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. That's great. All right. And then so during high school, in addition to the plays, um, did you have any, and you said you did soccer and things like that, and were you also strong academically? Did you have particular classes you were very good at or, you know, other interests besides the acting? Oh, yeah. Um, I was very busy and very involved in high school, so I was in all the honor cl- honors classes and all the um, AP classes, as well as being in honor society, the National Honor Society, and, like, culture club and key club and graphic design club. Um, it was a busy time. Excellent. And um, were you thinking all through high school, more or less, or starting to think that you would pursue acting professionally, ultimately? No, actually, um, that is what my heart wanted. But then I was like, oh, like, I'll never be able to actually 
make it. Like, I'm from a small town. I can't even take, like, a drama class in my own high school. Mm. Um, and, like, I have never taken voice lessons or anything like that. Like, you know, I was in band and chorus, and that was it. Um, so I was like, well, like, realistically, I'm probably not going to be able to, like, make a career in musical theater. Um just because I don't have the training and, you know, I was also in, um, a youth theater company my sophomore year of high school. And this youth theater company had kids from like all over the county. So there were a lot of rich Ithaca kids in that company. And they were like, yeah, I've been taking like jazz tap and ballet since I was three. Also, I have a vocal course and I can take, um, you know, drama classes in my high school because it's a large high school and we have the funding to have like drama teachers. And also I do like five plays a year on top of, you know, doing the shows for this company. And I was like, Oh man, like I was really, you know, blown away by how much these kids were already working. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't even have time for that. So I was like, oh, well, I'll go to school for something else, and then I'll just make theater like my full-time hobby once I graduate. Right. Um, but then I went to Alfred University, and I <laughs> initially started as a psych major alone, at my freshman year, but then I auditioned for the fall plays and I got a lead role in one of the fall plays. Um, and I was like, Oh man, I love theater so much. I love acting so much. Like, this is incredible. I think I should double major. So then I started double majoring in theater. Um, and you know, it stuck. And then after I graduated, I just kind of realized like, man, like, you only get one life. Why not try? Like, you know, who knows what could happen? Why not me? Like, why not? Why couldn't, you know, somebody choose me to, like, be the next lead in this movie or this Broadway show or whatever, you know? Absolutely. Um, and fun fact, you may already know this, but a, a uh, actor, uh, he's mainly a stand-up comedian, but he's also an actor, uh, who, who, uh, got quite famous as a stand-up back in the 70s and, and since then, who I happen to love, a guy named Robert Klein. He went to Alfred and then he ended up at the Yale School of Drama after. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Oh my gosh. Yes! I've heard of him. Yeah. I haven't Googled him though, but I remember my, my professors talking about him. There you go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, cool. So, and then how extensive was the theater program at Alfred? Uh, how was that? How was that for you? Um, Alfred is a wonderful, sorry, I keep stuttering today. I'm very excited to be on this show, apparently. <laughs> um, Alfred is a wonderful school. I really enjoyed my time there and my professors were incredible. Um, it's really small. So the theater program you get a lot of attention in that just because in my year, there were only, I want to say like 15 theater majors. Um, <clears throat> so we got a lot of one-on-one time with our professors, which is incredibly nurturing and you can't put a price tag on that. Um, so it was great. Uh, 
Alfred's approach to acting training, however, doesn't really focus on a specific technique or philosophy. So, for example, I know in some conservatories, they're like, we're a Stanislavski conservatory. That's what you're going to be doing for three years. Or, you know, we'll do, like, Meisner for two years and then, you know, insert other technique here for the second, for the third and fourth year. Um, But in Alfred, my professors were like, no, like, we're not here to make you a product, like a conservatory. We're here to teach you how to become an artist. I think that's incredibly freeing, especially for, you know, 18-year-olds who are just starting out um, in school and with more serious acting training. Uh, So we got, like, a sprinkling of a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different techniques. But throughout the years, you kind of learn how to build your own process, um, which is, I think, invaluable. Yeah, so that's uh, let's actually get more into that because training is a big topic for this podcast as well. So that's a perfect segue. So um, that all makes sense. And were you starting to find that through this training, were you developing concrete techniques and strategies for yourself that you still use? Yes, I would say so. Um, However, I haven't taken an acting class in two years. Mm -hmm. So I find that I'm, I forget about some things and then I'll get cast in a show and I'll see somebody do something and that'll like spark my memory and I'll be like, oh, right, I could be trying this. And see if that, like, helps me build my character. Or, you know, I'm having trouble with this scene. Oh, my my partner wants to try a Meisner exercise and see how that works for us within this, like, difficult scene. Okay, let's try that. And then, you know, it works or it doesn't. And, um, you know, training is something I know you should be doing on the regular. Um, But, you know, since moving here, I've been a little nervous to sign up for a class just because, you know, I'm, I'm still working out freelancing and the whole act, professional acting thing. So I don't want to be too, I don't want to say frivolous with my money, but I don't want to, you know, spend money that I'm not completely comfortable spending yet. So that brings up another really good point for, for new actors, which is, you know, training is certainly important, and casting directors and people will tell you that it's very important. Uh, but you do want to, again, just like with the apartment stuff, really do your due diligence on what classes are good, are legitimate, are professional, and are comfortable for you. Yeah, and you don't want to yeah. rush or pressure yourself and the money, of course. Um, take your time. But so in terms of the training you did receive at Alfred, though, and how you how you approach things now, you know, again, though, do you have like if you get handed a script, you know, to read it an audition quickly or when you do get cast in something and you're first looking at the script to break down your role, do you have like particular strategies that you learned or that you developed for yourself or is it just kind of, you know. You figure it out as you go. <laughs> um, 
I would say yes. There are definite. I definitely do have strategies that I learned at Alfred that have carried over into my professional life. Uh, for example, you know, as soon as I get a script, if it's a full length, you know, either one act play or a full length two act play, um, you know, immediately I do character work. Uh, you know, so like, who is my character? Where are they from? What was their upbringing like? What are their preferences? You know, um, what are their significant, you know, relationships and people in their life? Like what are their goals? That kind of thing. Um, and then once I do the character work and rehearsals are underway, um, it's just kind of a matter of tailoring what techniques and tools I use depending on either the character or the show or the cast I'm working with. So, um, for example, I was in, oh, sorry, there's a siren going by. (laughs) Um, I was in a production of Faust, and I was Gretchen. Um, So, for that particular show, when I had scenes with the actor playing Faust, we found it was really useful to do Meisner and use Meisner tools um, for our more intense or intimate scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was in a production of Miss Julie and I found, um, using things that were closer to like Stanislavski were more useful yep. just because of the nature of the show itself. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of, like you said, having all the different approaches in your bag of tricks is great. And I think anybody will tell you that. You don't want to be uh, limited to one philosophy or one technique, and, and being flexible and fluid like that is, is definitely the way to go. But um, let me ask you about Stan- about um, uh, Meisner, because you alluded to that a couple of times now. Uh, Meisner is one of those techniques that people that are serious about it, you know, go through quite a bit of training, you know, to start with the basic exercises that are very sort of confusing and then getting to what it's really all about, but you have to go through that progression. Um, how much, you know, Meisner training did you get? Did you get to like the, the real, the full Meisner training ultimately? It was that at Alfred? Uh, no. So we kind of brushed the surface oh, okay. with Meisner. So um, something that I really liked from our Meisner unit uh, was the repeating and responding exercise. Um, So uh, I I don't know if everybody knows what that is. So, you know, say you're working on a piece of text, you have a partner, you just take it line by line. So instead of, say, if person A says, what did you do today? And then your line as person B was, oh, I went shopping. Um, instead of just having a conversation like A, B, A, B, you would do, person A would start and say, what did you do today? And then person B would also say, what did I do today? And just, you would just repeat the other person's lines until you feel like you established the right kind of connection and the right kind of emotional state of being before moving on. So it's, it's, I guess it's a way of finding the truth for both characters and just really taking your time to find that 
truth, whatever it is. Yeah, so let's talk about that because, you know, that, that initial repetition exercise, I think, is what most people know about or associate with Meisner. If you've taken a basic Meisner class, that's, you know, what you learn. And I am no expert, believe me, but I did take some basics and I didn't get to continue or I didn't choose to continue, but I've always been curious where it goes to because people that do, you know, follow through with it, I'm sure there's a lot more, you know, later in the progression of the training where it really comes together and, and shows you, you know, what the, what the purpose of it all is. But even that basic repetition exercise, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear you find it useful because it's very hard, I found, I think a lot of people find this, when you're doing it, to wonder, you know, am I doing this right? Am I just repeating it? Am I trying to make it sound like I hear it? Or am I trying to create variety in the sound or whatever? You know, what, what, what are you attempting to do? Are you attempting to simply really take in what the other person says and kind of let yourself respond organically, essentially? Yes. Uh, that's at least what I got out of it. And again, you know, we only scratched the surface with Meisner, but I really like it because I find I get way too in my head very often, especially when it's a more serious or more dramatic show. Right. So with Meisner, it kind of helps me, like, just relax and just kind of, like, be present in the moment rather than, oh, so he said that, so what are all the, like, connotations of each word he said and how does my character feel about that? But also, like, am I paying attention to detail X or detail Y or detail Z, you know, that kind of stuff. Gotcha, yeah. And I take it, and this is something that I, I wish schools everywhere would do, you know, or at least offer students the opportunity to to have something uh, along these lines before they graduate, which is to talk to you, you know, to get somebody, if you can, to, who can, who can, who can um, talk to you about, you know, the business part, you know, what it really is going to be like in the real world when you get out of school and start auditioning professionally and so forth. Was there any of that at Alfred? Um, there was a little bit of that during my senior seminar, mm-hmm. um, but senior seminar went by in a blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, so I honestly, you know, looking back on it, I feel like I didn't retain enough from that because that's where we really got into like the nitty gritty where it's like, okay, this is how you make a resume. Uh, this is how you market yourself. Like all those things kind of just, for some reason they didn't sink in. They just went over my head. So now that I'm out in the real world, I'm like, oh, man, how do I market myself? Am I marketing myself? Is there a correct way to do this? Should I talk to somebody? I'm just, I'm not really sure. Yeah, and, you know, fortunately these days there's plenty of good information on the Internet. Uh, Backstage.com has tons and tons of great articles and stuff. Um, And, of course, there are people out there who claim they can teach you, and some of them I'm sure can, but, again, be very careful before you start paying somebody for anything like that. Um, and, you know, start by asking other actors and stuff. But anyway, so, yeah, that's that's hard. Um, so, 
cool. So, um, so did you say there was some time between when you graduated, Alfred, and when you moved to the city, or did you move right after graduating? No, there was some time. So I graduated in May of 2016. Okay, right. Um, so I moved to Rochester, New York, which is super western New York. It's kind of close to Canada. That is uh, <laughs> near where I went to school. I went to SUNY Geneseo. Oh, right. I remember you mentioning that um, in your last episode with Lydia. Yes, SUNY Geneseo. My uh, my cousin Lucas is going there right now. It's a great school, great place to go to school. It really is. Yeah, I believe it. Everybody I know who has gone to SUNY Geneseo has loved it. There you go. But so you moved to Rochester, okay, and you were, you were trying to do some theater and stuff there. Yes. Um, so my thought process with moving to Rochester was, you know, it's a middle-sized city. There's a booming, like, community theater scene there, as well as some really good um, regional theaters as well. So, you know, I wanted to bulk up my resume before eventually moving to New York City. Um, and, you know, I had a really great time there and met some really great people. Some really excellent actors are there as well. Um, sorry, there's another siren coming by. Hey, it's busy night. North, that's okay. So, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that because I think that is a good strategy. And for people that don't know, you know, there are a lot of, you know, you don't, you don't have to go to New York or L.A. necessarily or even Chicago. There are plenty mm -hmm. of smaller markets where you can still be an actor. Um, uh, there really are. So what was the scene like there? Um, the only one I know there, at least it was when I was around there a million years ago, was Jiva. Is that still the big one? Yes, Jiva is the holy grail of the Rochester theater scene. Yep. Um, I know they hire out of New York for their you know, their lead roles, though. Right. Um, I don't know any local actors who have gotten lead roles in Jiva plays. I only know local actors who have gotten, like, smaller supporting roles or ensemble roles. Yeah, that so that's is, a little bit is, of a bummer. That can happen, yeah. So what, yeah. so, but anyway, so in general, though, what, what was your experience like in Rochester? What would you get to do there? Uh, Rochester was really great. Like I said, there's a booming community theater scene, um, and a lot of really great work gets produced through the community theater scene. And um, this is going to sound awful, but when I was in high school, um, I there was this connotation that community theater was always really bad, and all the actors were always like, really catty and had unnecessarily large egos, but moving to Rochester completely turned that on its head for me. Um, you know, every all the actors were, like, really nice and really talented and very humble, and, you know, the directors I worked with were, for the most part, very professional, and the theaters were, like, really cute and nice, and the audiences were attentive. It's just a very supportive no, you know, this is this, city to live in. This is very This is very important because uh, before you said that, I was gonna say exactly that that community theaters get kind of a bad rap, and even me, 
when I thought I could be a professional actor or something, looked down on community theater. That's for, you know, hobbyists who don't even, who aren't good at all and whatever, whatever. So this is important and great to hear that, that, uh, people should not, um, you know, immediately dismiss, uh, community theaters at all. So, yeah, absolutely uh, so, not. So that's really great to know. And also when you say that they had good audiences and things like that, that can be better, frankly, than some of the little plays you'll do in New York where you wonder where the heck the audience is, <laughs> unfortunately. So Yeah, you know, I was yeah. in a sketch show um, at the Producers Theater back in December. Yeah. And one of the nights we had an audience of five people and we were not paying attention. Oh, I was like, oh man, why are you guys even here? Yeah, I think toward the end of the Lydia Kalman episode, she and I were getting into that stuff and the, the frustration of these theater companies that not only expect you to work as actors for free, but act as if you're the ones also responsible for filling the seats in the audience. Yeah, that, that's a whole other topic. But mm-hmm. anyway, so these community theaters in Rochester, that that's really great. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of classical work that gets reworked in really interesting and creative ways. There's also a lot of new plays and new playwrights that put up their stuff. And, you know, not everything is a religious experience, but again, it's just a really supportive environment where people can try new things and it'll be received and supported by the community. I think that's invaluable and it's kind of hard to find. It is invaluable, and it's really phenomenal to hear that. And you mentioned that the directors were professional and so forth. And what kind of budget or level of production did these things have? Did you guys have good quality sets and costumes and all that kind of stuff? Um, So it really depends. So I was doing community theater and then smaller professional theater work. Uh, so, for example, I was in a production of Deflator Mouse, and while we were in a high school auditorium, that was a professional show, while we were in a high school auditorium, uh, the sets were like Broadway-level sets, and the costumes were rented from a Broadway um, costume rental. So everything was gorgeous. And, you know, all the leads have either performed at the Met or been on Broadway. Uh, so you get really incredible, um, not only experience, but incredible shows for very cheap prices. Um, but then I've also been in community theater shows where it's like, you know, we're just doing a black box um, for example, I was in um, a production of Miss Julie, and we were in a black box theater, and we had a table and two chairs as our set. Everything else was black, but then we had these really gorgeous period piece costumes, and that is what carried the show um, visually. Yeah. Well, there you go. And sometimes simple black box works great too. And I'm not saying that's not true at all, but I was just curious what the, what the production stuff was like there. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I, I would say you get, uh, both sides of the spectrum. Sure. You know. And so you did the Rochester thing for about two years, was it? 
a year and a half. Okay. And uh, sounds like you got a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I sure did. I really did. I'm really grateful for my time there. Excellent. So getting back to uh, the present now, um, you alluded at the beginning, and you said this to me in your email to me originally, too, about how how different it is in the professional New York world and the competition and the audition style and everything. So you talked about that a little bit at the beginning of the show, but let's uh, let's get more into that. So you find yourself submitting for a lot of things and just kind of waiting to hear and so forth? Yeah. Um, so like I said before, it's really different because it's so digital. Yeah. Um, in Rochester, for example, um, you know, there was just a Facebook group where every audition notice was listed. Um, and then if you wanted an audition, you would just personally message the director or the producer who posted the message and they would be like, Oh yeah, great. Come on down for an audition at this time at, uh, at this date. Um, here, because everything's like, you know, on these audition listing sites like backstage or playbill, it's just, you know, you're inundated with these audition notices. And then in turn, I'm sure whoever the posters are, are inundated with people hoping for an audition. Um, so, you know, I'll check out those sites like Backstage and Playbill, you know, a couple times a week, not every day. Um, and I'll apply for anywhere between five and 20 things a day. And then I'm lucky if I hear back from, you know, two to five of those things. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very tough. And um, are you also on the others, like Actors Access and New York Casting and all that stuff? No, actually, I had not heard of those. I just know of Backstage and... Um, Playbill and one other. Okay, um, so to let I'm you know... I'm still learning the sites. Yeah, so to let you know and those listening, and you can Google all these things and you can find the information on, you know, websites for... And again, be careful, but you'll find the information about the major legitimate ones. And again, there's Actors Access, there's New York Casting, and you set up a profile with your headshot and everything, and you can customize the search for the right kinds of roles and things, so... Uh, those are important, and uh, actors definitely use those, so uh, you definitely should look into that. And are you looking to do, besides just theater, other types as well, like TV, film, commercials? My heart is with theater, but I would really like to try out TV and film. Um, I was in a short film a year ago, and I really enjoyed it, but it was it was just so different. So I think it's a really good skill set to have. Yeah, absolutely. So again, if you go on these sites, you know, you can customize it with all these different categories. And uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. And um, so, uh, you know, and again, I know you've only been in the city about five months and you're, you're you know, you're doing great. You really are. But um Besides the auditions, and uh, you just got cast in this in this show, which is great. Do you have any other ways of keeping up with the community, of meeting other actors, and so forth? Do you go to any, you know, seminars or networking events, or are you? Do you know anybody else who you knew before who's in New York as an actor now? Um. 
the way that I have made friends and connections here in the in New York has been purely through either things I've been cast in sure. or auditions I've gone to because mm-hmm. open calls are a new thing for me. So I've been to a couple open calls and you're you know, sometimes you're sitting there for two hours, sometimes more, yeah. waiting for your audition slot. So you get to know the people who are sitting around you and it's nice to talk to other people who are, you know, like minded and you know, I've made a couple friends and connections through just going to auditions. Um, but again, you know, I've made friends through uh, things I've been cast in, and I've also made friends from stage managing different shows, and then, you know, those friends will introduce me to other friends, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and that's really part of what it's all about. You know, the community and everybody being in the same boat is so important. And, you know, it's funny, I always felt that way, too. Like, the the people you're sitting next to in the audition waiting area are not your enemies or your competitors. They are your colleagues, and you should absolutely Absolutely. be nice to them and be friends with them if you can. Um, But, you know, what's also interesting about your situation, and I'm sure it's not that unique, you know, you had your roommates, which is great. But otherwise, mm-hmm. it sounds like you came pretty much by yourself and as far as having any other actors you knew or anything. So that can be very lonely and, and tough at first, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, the first two months were, you know, tough, not only because I was adjusting to living in a big city for the first time in my life and, you know, learning the subways and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of tough because I was used to having a community of theater people around me. And then all of a sudden I just have no one. Um, So I was like, you know, for a while I was like, man, like how am I going to one, make friends here Two, how am I going to get involved in the community if I don't even know anybody to like kind of throw me a lifeline in the first place. Right. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's tough, and that's why it's so important. And, you know, fortunately these days with social media and all kinds of ways to network uh, and meet people online and stuff, that, that helps a lot. And there's Facebook groups and all different things. But still, though, yeah, it's tough. It's lonely. You know, it's that cliche of New York being this huge city, but you can still feel completely alone. It's, it's very true. <laughs> no, it is. Um, mm-hmm. So, but you know, you've, but like I said, you know, you, you're, you're doing your thing and, uh, and it's great. Um, and that sort of brings up another general topic I think is important for people who are, you know, thinking about coming here right after college or whatever. Um, you know, uh, you know, common sense in terms of taking care of yourself. You know, the city is not fortunately too dangerous these days in, in most parts mm-hmm. of it. Um, but obviously you want to, you know, exercise common sense. But um, what I'm also getting at is, you know, and of course with the news and everything and, you know, things we know these days that have come out, you know, uh, stories, um, it's all very screwed up. But, you know, uh, actors, uh, male and female, uh, you know, especially uh, new ones, you know, uh, do have to be a little careful about potentially um, inappropriate or or dangerous situations. 
Um, so certainly you want to keep that kind of thing in mind. Um, I certainly hope the answer is no, but have you had any kind of anything that felt sketchy or anybody that made you feel in any way uncomfortable or anything like that? Just one. Um, there was... <laughs> I say wow in the sense that even one is, is too many, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a listing on backstage for an indie film, and mm-hmm. like I said, I want to try and get into film and TV, mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, this sounds like really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for a comedic character, and it's uh, two persons, there were only two characters in the entire film and I was like oh that's really interesting but I really like two or three person plays so this could be a good way to kind of ease myself into the film realm and um, the listening also said oh like you know it's an unfinished script so I'm looking for an actress who would be willing to also be like a co-writer and I was like oh that sounds incredible sign me up and it was paid too um, and I was like this sounds like a dream come true right so um I applied for the listing I sent in my resume and my headshot and my reel um and you know a couple hours went by and immediately like the director who was also the going to be the lead actor and who was also the writer, um, you know, messaged me and he was like, Hey, like I saw like your reel and your resume and I'm like really impressed. It looks like really good stuff. I would love to like talk to you more about the project. And I was like, this is so exciting because nobody ever responds in a timely fashion to like my application on backstage. That's not true. Um, but you know, it's, it's tough especially when you're only getting small bites here and there. Um, So that was really exciting. Um, I was like, okay, great. Like, you know, uh, this is my phone number. You can call me, um, like, these days around this time. Like, that's when I'm free. And he was like, okay, great. And then, so we made a date to have a phone conversation. Um, And he, like, didn't call. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, like, maybe something came up and he didn't have a chance to email me or text me or anything and say, you know, he, he has to reschedule. And then he like texted me around midnight and he was like, Hey, are you up? Can I call you? And I was like, no, I'm closed for the day. You can call me on this day. And like, you know, I, you know, I, I gave the guy the benefit of a doubt because I was like, okay, you know, stuff happens. I get it. Um, you know, this is, you know, probably just a, a, a fluke. Um, but, like, I was like, but, like, you should be more respectful of my time if you're going to try and work with me. So then, um, you know, we set another date for a phone conversation, and we talked, and uh, the guy was like, okay, I, I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, I like this character has is very sexual in nature and I'm going to need you to be like naked for a lot of the scenes. And I was like, Oh, I'm not comfortable with that. And then he, then he just like started to kind of bully me into feeling bad about not being comfortable on camera. Oh boy. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, being naked on camera with a stranger and then, 
I was like, you know, I'm not really feeling comfortable. Is there an intimacy coach? And then he went on a 10-minute, like, temper tantrum rant, like, almost yelling at me about, like, how, like, an intimacy an intimacy coach is not necessary and that I should be like grateful for this opportunity. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, you know what? We're done. I best of luck with your endeavors, man. And I just hung up the phone and never heard from that guy again. Okay. So, so okay. Yeah. Let's, let's get into this because I appreciate you sharing that. I'm very sorry that happened to you. And I, as I said, I had hoped the answer would be no, but this is an important story because these things do happen and it is not good. And anything that seems even a little off, let those red flags be raised because you do absolutely anything. And so many things about that, you know, sounded like red flags to me. Maybe I was assuming, but you know, if you're like you said, you didn't know and you were excited and all that. So everybody listening, be so careful. Make sure things are professional and make sense and and if anything makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, don't go any further. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. And for, you know, this, this person obviously, you know, is screwed up and, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, of course the midnight text thing, I, that's like immediately, okay, you know, we're done and that's crazy. But, but so the whole thing, um, you know, again, it's horrible. Um, so yeah, everybody should, should be careful and, um, by the way, where did you say you saw this listing originally? This was on Backstage, and okay, so I applied. To report him? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I reported him, but also I know on Backstage sometimes, like Backstage, I've never had a bad experience other than that with Backstage. So I know that sometimes with new companies or new listers, they don't get a chance to like fully background check um, the listing. So like they do have a warning that say like, "Hey, we didn't get a chance to you know do a full check on this listing." So oh, just beware of a okay. scam or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, you know, for people who are on backstage and are newer to New York or just digitally submitting for auditions, just, you know, be aware of that. Um, But also, uh, nothing is, no amount of success is ever worth, worth, like, compromising your safety. Um, For going back to something we were talking about earlier, like, uh, at one of the casting calls, I was talking to some people and making connections and we were, you know, talking about like getting into film as theater people. And one of the guys who I was talking to was like, Hey, like my friend, um, who's an actress, you know, was offered a part in a movie by a really big director. Um, I'm not sure if it would be smart of me to share the name, but anyway, this is like a big, you know, prolific director, um, many feature films. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
he was like, she really wanted to take the part, but then she started getting these weird messages from this director that were kind of insinuating that, like, maybe she should, like, sleep with him or something like that. And, like, she could have had a huge break. Like, that could have been her big break, but she turned it down, and I think rightly so, because it wasn't a safe situation. No, and again, she could report him and so forth, but... Yeah. Yeah, so again, this stuff, as we all now know, is very, very real. And, again, like you said, everybody needs to be very careful... And a couple of other things. So, you know, I, I don't know how it works with backstage, but you're exactly right. Backstage normally is is quite legitimate, but um, it's good to know that they at least have that thing that says if they didn't fully vet somebody. Um, but you still never know, unfortunately. But what I'm yeah. going to say, too, is that, you know, one website, you know, uh, that you should not really look at listings for this for anything acting or anything from is is craigslist because you know craigslist oh yes that's not what it's for and everybody knows that craigslist can be uh can be crazy so do not look at audition list my opinion do not look at audition listings or anything on craigslist um and uh what else are going to say about this nonsense um I don't remember, but again, yeah, horrible thing. I'm sorry that happened to you. Oh, I know what I was going to say. There's even times when somebody may say they're holding the audition, like, at their apartment or something, and that's not necessarily means anything's wrong, but I would be very, very careful. You know, if it's a professional situation, they should be in some kind of a professional uh, environment, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, I'm sorry that happened to you, but thank you for sharing because that is a very important and poignant um, story. It really is. Um, cool. So, um, yeah, so uh, we're getting toward uh, maybe wrapping this up. Uh, but what uh, – did we miss anything? Is there anything else you want to discuss? <laughs> um. Not off the top of my head, not unless you have any more specific questions. No, I don't think so. This has been a really fantastic conversation, Rachel. I really appreciate it. So, um, again, anything we talked about in terms of, like, things that have specific links or her show coming up, we're going to put all that. Oh, and that uh, real estate broker. We're going to put all that (laughs) in the notes of the episode for those of you who are listening. Um, and Rachel, do you want to share any of your own website or social media or anything or no? Um, <laughs> I'm such a newbie. I don't have a website yet. Don't worry. Um, you don't have to. It's only if you want to. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, you know, we're going to put the link to that play you're going to be in and everything underneath. All right. So everybody, uh, thank you for listening again. Uh, if you have any questions about the podcast or if you're an artist that might want to come on or you want to reach me for any reason, it's uh, craft business life podcast. That's all one word. Craft business life podcast at gmail.com. And, of course, that's in all the the notes and the links and everything as well. And um, that's pretty much it. Rachel, thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Bye.